Uh, we're back with our eighth episode of the Utility Strategy Podcast, uh, the first infrastructure podcast to shine a light on what we love to call utility strategy. Uh, as we all know, buried utilities pose an enormous risk to any infrastructure project and create extreme uncertainty amongst the different stakeholders. The thing is that with the right utility strategy, we're able to mitigate that risk and streamline our project, which is what our podcast is all about, um, sharing and gaining all kinds of insights that will enable just that, uh, helping project managers, uh, utility coordinators, estimators, mappers, planners, designers, engineers, and basically any other stakeholder uh, overcome the challenges of buried utilities in our right of way. Um, to help us do just that, uh, we have here with us today, uh, Jim Shower. Am I pronouncing that correctly? That is correct, Shower. Yeah, like Jim Shower. Yeah. Uh, uh, so who is, uh, some of you probably know from the awesome uh, Coffee with uh, Jim and James podcast, uh, and who's a champion of the oil and gas industry. Um, today, Jim serves as the VP uh, EAM services at Energy World Net. Uh, the global cloud-based industry platform leader uh, in OQ, uh, compliance management, asset management, uh, uh, training, and education services. Uh, over 20 years of experience in the oil and gas industry, uh, during which uh, uh, Jim has served as a CEO, managing director of a leading uh, LNG energy company. Uh, he's led interstate pipeline development in the Gulf Coast, uh, he's led unregulated uh, marketing, natural gas sales teams uh, across the country, and he has spent nearly 13 years in regulated natural gas utilities. Um, so, uh, Jim, before we uh, dive in, uh, let's talk uh, talk a bit about uh, the podcast for a second. Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, for us, this has been an amazing way to connect uh, with the industry, uh, especially in a post-COVID world. Uh, yep. So. Any thoughts? What do you think? Yeah, well, first of all, it's great to be here with you gentlemen today and an honor to be on your podcast. We have been doing our podcast for almost, it'll be coming up on two years um, this spring. And we actually started it um, almost, uh, I'll say, as therapy for us. James and myself, we would travel throughout the year and give presentations, attend conferences, do meetings, you know, et cetera. We'd be out with people. And when COVID really struck and everybody got locked down, we didn't know what to do with ourselves. Oh, we did, but we we're like, oh my hey, God. Yeah. we want to be in touch and in contact. And so we did it and we thought we would maybe last 10 episodes, five, you know, whatever. And so we started doing it all of a sudden people started to call us and said, wow, that's great. We've seen your face. So then it grew and it grew and we, are, we got more comfortable and that was a big thing for me at my age. I'm in my, let's just say, my <laughs> upper 50s. You know, when, when James said, we're going to do a podcast, I didn't even know what a podcast was. And then he said, we're going to do a Zoom meeting. I said, well, let's So um, anyways, no, it was good. It was really good. It was a great way to stay connected with the industry. And it really grew from more of a personal, we just wanted to stay in touch with folks, to then people are saying, hey, we want to learn, you know, at, at trade shows, we always learn about blank. Can you do this as a subject? And we said, that's a great idea. So we started to get subjects. We started to get feedback. And it grew and grew and grew. And again, I think I said it. We're going to be up for our 100th episode. We're going to record it here in the virtual market. clapping coming. Uh, so hang on. Hang on. So that went from the COVID pivot pod 
podcast to the COVID constant or sorry, the constant podcast. That's, well, that's really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it, and it, and it did. And you, we just thought it was going to be a bridge. It was more so to help us and help the industry and we'll move on. And what I think we're finding too, is that when we get back to whatever life is normal is, I think so many people have taken advantage of the, this virtual platform, whether it's podcasts or trade shows or conferences virtually, uh, where a lot of people wouldn't go to them personally. It could be engineers, project managers that just don't have the bandwidth, but there's great things to learn. And I think that there, if, if a person of that could attend a, uh, a conference, you know, uh, AGA, American Gas Association Conference, virtually and pop in for some sessions that are really keen to them, Boy, that's yes. a win, as well as the people yeah. like ourselves that would go in person and really relationship build. And that's one thing with the energy industry we all know is that relationships are key to it. It's, you know, your friends, who you know. It's not just what your company or you do. It's really the whole relationship and the value that you can bring to everybody. That is so true. And I think, uh, you know, we look at other industries, like we look at the tech industry and kind of entrepreneurship world and uh, and uh, venture capital. And those, there's tons of podcasts there, tons. And it's kind of uh, our industry, uh, like when I say ours, uh, I mean like traditional industries. So uh, civil engineering, oil and gas, uh, manufacturing, those types of industries are a bit left out, you know? Like I, I don't see as many podcasts. So it felt like... Uh, uh, like we had to know yeah. there's like, like, so yeah. So, so uh, hey, hang on. Are we saying this, this is becoming the 19th hole on the golf course? I, I, think <laughs> it is. I, yeah. I, I truly do. I, I think it's going to morph and enhance into, you know, uh, what people are comfortable with. I, I, I will state that people want to get back face to face and shake hands. Of course. Of course. Yeah, of course. want to do that. But so many people. There's no replacement to face to face. No, no, there isn't. No. But the people are going to say, I can't go to that conference, but I really want to do this, this, there, there. And they, they could do that virtually. That's a win win. If we can take one thing from a conference and help an engineer help, you know, she or he do something better and make our world safer. That's the objective, and and that's a win. So. Yeah. All right. Uh, Absolutely. Interesting. Yeah. I, so I, I want to start getting to nuts and bolts of this. I want I want to start really getting to the technical. <laughs> I know that we've we've just gone through the. <laughs> go. So let's go. Uh, yeah let's let's go for it. All right, David. Why don't you yeah. start rolling it out? So, so let's uh let's talk about a bit of the challenges or the biggest challenges of the uh, the early stages of a new pipeline project. Like as someone who was uh, the CEO uh, of, a, of a utility company. So maybe talk to us a bit about that, how it looks from a leadership perspective and also from a kind of boots on the ground perspective. Yeah, and when we talk about pipelines, we're talking like midstream, like those that would feed. Yeah, you know, midstream, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Feed is what we wanna be talking about, yeah. 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 So yeah. for our audience, as we know, we, you know, we have transmission pipelines that run from here across the country and then these midstreams that come off. And that's a little bit of my area that I've dealt with over my tenure in the energy industry in the past, not now, but in the past. Those are, are, are great because all of a sudden you will have maybe a town that has been underserved, that's growing, that needs an additional pipeline to help make you know, meet its needs of growth. It could be an industrial customer. In my 
in my past, I was based out of Texas. So Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, that was a hotbed for a lot of industrial uh, growth. And a lot of the industrials need a, an absorbent amount of gas as well as gas pressure to operate. So big volumes. Um, the biggest thing is really when you look at a pipeline project like that, the, the, the project itself is, is a big deal. Putting boots on the ground, you know, digging holes, right? Digging paths, digging trenches, da-da-da, you know, welding, all those things. But really before it, you know, the 60, 70% of the time of planning, looking at right-of-ways, looking at where you're going, looking at uh, physical conditions, looking at all those aspects, and as well as potentially um, what, what could be a, uh, it uh, doesn't really happen that often in that, but you know, what, what could be a, a benefit of putting a pipeline in there? People would say, well, what do you mean a benefit besides the end use of getting natural gas? You know, are, are you able to do something to the topography that maybe needs to be enhanced and you can do that at the same time? There's so many things about it, but really getting back the planning, the engineering, the environmental studies, the, you know, the right-of-ways, looking where they're going to go. And then the future, looking at, okay, if we put this midstream in here, we're building it for an industrial plant, okay, that uses 2,000 decatherms or 2,000 MCF a day, which is an absorbent amount. That could heat a Minnesota home for 18 years. Um, so what they used one day could feed a Minnesota home for 18 years. That's yeah. pretty big. So then you have to think about what, are, are you building it just for today? Or are you going to build it for what that plant may look like in five years or 10 years, as well as what else could grow in that area? So really, you know, just anything to do with life, planning and thinking about the future, I think is key to it. That's the biggest aspect, first and foremost. That takes a lot of it. Your permit gathering, all those items, you know, that's a big chunk. When you actually get out there, if you've done all your planning well, then the rest of it goes pretty smooth. There's always some hiccups, especially if you're going let's just say underwater or whatever, and you have to do HDD, do some you know, directional boring, you know, that, that's concerns too, because on all of a sudden you're going into an area where you don't know what's happening underground. And then it gets into the, thank goodness we live in this time where we have technologies where we can, as industry, wrap the pipe before it gets directional bored. So it's protected because you're not going to be able to see it, what's going on, if it's scraping rock or bedrock or something. That could cause problems down the road. So the more that we do up front to make our pipes safer going in the ground, the longer life we have with them, as well as the more, oh, what's the word, more comfort that they're safe under the ground and that we did everything we can to make them as safe as possible. Did I kind of hit so, on that? Uh, I'm just going to add something out of left field. You, you, you just yeah. talked about uh, a lot of uh, investigation, a lot of uh, different me mechanisms to make sure that things are safe within the uh, investigation area. Yep. One thing I've seen throughout my entire career is the, not, the, the pipeline companies focusing a lot about the above ground versus the below ground. You know, they do a lot of right-of-way surveys. They have their land acquisition. And, uh, you know, then they start looking at records and start basing their engineering based upon the records and not... Uh, not the verification of actual utilities, not the actual, you know, they, they're doing sweeping. Sweeping is a great is a great mechanism, but it's only looking for conductive utilities. They're not putting that entire package together, which really it's 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 something that's it's it's boggled my mind for years that 
taking everything and you know, looking at that biggest critical now that biggest item in critical path is that underground infrastructure and you know just taking in in a uh, piecemeal approach i call it they do a little bit here they do a little bit more investigation there instead of doing that really thorough investigation up front they're piecemealing it right through until they get to the uh proponents so i understand i i and i think that that you know when when we look at our industry and wanting it to be as safe as possible at, at a micro level 811 call before you dig right you know that's a, a wonderful entity that we have in the united states where they go out you call 811 they go come out even in our backyards you know they'll come out and they'll mark yeah, it yeah, yeah. Now, so many times I'll, okay let's just pretend we're like my house that used to be in texas you know i ran a natural gas line out to a fire pit i ran this over here you know permitted in the whole bit and everything was good but let's just say that somebody goes to that home now when i was living there i knew exactly where the lines were so if somebody wanted to plant some trees in the backyard i could say don't go here don't go there somebody could go in that backyard and just assume that the back five feet of easement is where the lines are and everything yeah. else is good. And I think that that micro example can manifest at times into people saying, oh, it's probably okay. There, you know, we know that there's a transmission line over here. We know there's a midstream over here and there isn't anything else or assume that. And when we assume that's a problem in the world, and I think you're absolutely right. I, I don't think people do it out of neglect. I think many times people do it out of um, maybe, you know, not the best picture, full picture, maybe not the most information that they have. And, and again, we're getting to an exciting time in the world where a lot of this information is now being aggregated so people can see the whole picture, as you said, above and below ground. There could be an abandoned line somewhere that's no longer in use that you know it's not even on the books but it's still an important entity to understand that it's down yeah. there yeah. um you know especially when you get into the ldc worlds we're not just talking about natural gas lines where we're talking yeah. about water lines and fiber optics and cable and you know all electric all, everything um so i agree with you and i think that's a, an exciting part where we're at like at energy world net we've been around for three decades and we keep honing and getting better with the idea that we want to give information as much as possible to the people in their phones out on the site. So if somebody needs to check somebody's OQs, you can do it real time, right then and there, to be assured that that person is, you know, up to speed. So, or, so just so sorry, just you uh, tell everyone OQs is operator qualifications. Not everyone's yeah. going to be a. <laughs> I'm yeah. sorry. Not everyone's going to yeah. Gonna, yeah. yeah. Uh, Operator, uh, operator qualifications. Thank you. I, I, and you know, our industry is riddled with acronyms. Acronyms. Yeah. We love it. We love and it. That, and what that means in a nutshell is that an operator like a gas company says, if you want to do work on our system, whether you're an employee or contractor, you will be, have the knowledge, skills, and ability, blah, 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 and take some tests and study. And, and the biggest thing is to have the knowledge and to be able to use that knowledge. Um, it also goes into certifications. You know, maybe it's not a qualification, but maybe a manufacturer says, if you want to use this fusion machine, you will take our class and become certified. And then like in my world, I'm very interested in assets, fusion machines, gas detectors, welding machines, anything that needs to be calibrated, inspected. Because that's the other thing. Maybe the person is very well versed, but if that machine is it running up to speed? That can be a problem too. So hmm. get back to that. It's kind of all encompassing. 
perfect. Uh, it's it's really funny. Uh, you know, we have so many different mechanisms to to make sure that we're doing things correctly. But uh, you know, the truth and inherent item is, it's all about everyone caring and everyone putting in their 100% and really not just doing things to do things, but to really do them because they want to do them and they want to make sure that the site is safe and making sure that everyone's working in a, a more cooperative fashion. And, you know, things like your OQs really keep them in check. And it, it's a, it's another point to say, wait a minute, you know, I see the list of all the items which I have to do. Do I want to do that minimum point of care or do I want to do more? So I, I really, I do appreciate the fact how you guys have modernized it and it's now you know available on the phone. It's really uh, available immediately. So that's that's a really great point. Excellent. Yep. And, <laughs> and you folks at 4M, I mean, your use of technology and combining that into usable format is key. There's so much information out there, but we need it in a format when it's where it's usable and we can yep. actually you know understand it. So when a pipeline is going in the ground, if we can see not only above but below the full picture for people that are in the pipeline industry or because I'm not in it right now, but you know, those that are in it, if they understand what's, what the, the full picture is, not, not 85% of the picture, but a hundred percent of the picture or 99% of the picture is better than 85. You know, there's always going to be some variables. I would say, I don't know what your plus or minus is, but you know, I, you know, the more we know the better, yeah. better. I think it's about giving uh, some sort of degree of uh, of confidence like that. That's why we yeah. use data today. Like, I don't think that in any industry, it doesn't matter really what you're doing. You're not expecting a hundred percent data, like, cause it's never going to happen. I think that uh, actually uh, Jeff Bezos, I think he has a pretty cool quote and I might not be uh, uh, on point here, but he says that to make a decision, you need about 60% of the data. Once you have 60%, you need to make a decision. If you have more than that, you're waiting too long because you need to, you need to act, you need to act. And like, we're not gonna, like, especially in, in our industry where it just takes so long to put a project together. Like it yeah. takes, well, depending, you can take uh, like conception can be 10 years before you, uh, uh, before you even start laying stuff in the ground before you start construction. Uh, so, like suspending the decision-making like by a year or two years until you kind of have all that data, uh, it can be challenging. Well, yeah. David, that actually goes back into the, the whole the whole argument of the chicken and the egg, right? You know, if you put a lot of money up front and the, the actual project life cycle is 10 years down the road, yeah. you know, will it actually be executed? And did I waste all this money up front? And it's really a, especially when we have a lot of politically motivated projects or, you know, if somebody gets elected and he wants to build a new uh, subway, he wants to reinforce, you know, he says, okay, we're going to have to reinforce the uh, gas pipeline system to this city because they don't have enough gas. And, you know, and then four years later, he's gone and the priorities change. And, you know, <laughs> anyways, it's just, it's a, it's a, it's a very big paradox. And I'm sorry, Jim, I cut you off there. No, but no, no, please. No, no. <laughs> no, and I get it. And I'll, I'll take it. I'll step away from the political side of it. But yeah. you spend two years planning a <laughs> I see what I did. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you hire, you know, what do we do in the industry? We have contractors and we sign contracts and people start to get on site. And if there's something there that will stop that project from going and, you know, delay it for two weeks while something is resolved or understood or three weeks or four weeks, 
boy, the ticker keeps going, you know, and that's when project managers start pulling their hair out because they're like, you know, we're paying, you know, five crews this amount of money to sit around. We need to get this resolved. We should have saw it two months ago or eight months ago, you know, and that's again, where people really, you know, being diligent helps everybody in the process to where the, you know, equipment actually gets on site and starts to do the digging. And the bigger the project, the more uh, you're, you're prone to, to risk. Yeah, like there's a difference between a five mile uh, pipeline and a 50 mile pipeline. Like, so. Um, absolutely. And, you know, as soon as you start crossing political borders, i.e. like state lines, yeah. you know, we, we know where that goes. That's totally different than running a, you know, like you said, a two or five mile lateral off something. So, yeah. So I, I'm going to ask another. I'm going to ask another really interesting question, and this is really uh, out of right field this time. But uh, uh, is it the Vegas? I'll call it the Vegas effect. You know, you had one project that went down. You, know, you, you didn't do that uh, right amount of diligence, but you know the project succeeded at the end, and you, you ended up making money. Is it that effect where you know I've done it already once before, and I'll I'll, I'll double down and bet again, and try and do that again and again and again and again until I get burnt, and all of a sudden say, and say oh oh you know what maybe I should have. Uh, it's never been that way in my world. Okay, okay. Next, you know, um, honestly, we, 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 we take, in my pi past pipeline experience, we took every project extremely serious. And after the project, we had what we would call a, a decompression or a, a, debrief, we got yeah. back to a debrief and got everybody together. What worked well? What did we miss? What can we learn for next time? And we want to implement the things that we learned from that in the next project. So the next project is more productive. Well, let's stop. Safer, first yeah. and foremost. Number one, yeah. All those things. So um, I've never, in any of the organizations that I work for, we've never um, adhered to that whole Vegas idea. I, I understand what you're saying. <laughs> it works once, you know, let's try it again. And let's, let's go from there. That, that's really, that's, that's a positive thing to hear. And I, I do appreciate hearing that uh, from you and it's, it's really a, I don't want to say, it all comes down to that bottom line. You know, if, I, if I'm going to take money and invest it in the upfront, I might not, you know, I might have not have that tangible recovery. I, I'm investing money upfront and it's not going into construction. And there's that, uh, that real world uh, thinking item, you know, investing money into engineering, it's on paper. Investing money to construction, you're actually seeing the results. You actually see, okay, I have that backhoe working. I have, okay, let's let's solve that issue by putting money into there. But it, it's really that uh, the conceptual versus the tangible, where I'm, I want to put the money to the conceptual so I can actually reduce the issues on the tangible. But it, it's really a, a tough thing to get around, and a lot of companies will not invest into that conceptual because they want to see the tangible. You know, they want to see the results. They want to see people working. So it's a it's a very yeah, I, I understand. And, and, you know, the energy industry is a little bit different because when you start looking at ROIs, we're not yeah. looking at ROIs necessarily of 12, 18, 24 months. They could be 5, 10, 15 years, depending on the application. Yeah. So a lot of the energy, you know, investments and such by either the organizations like you know, like an industrial organization that wants to pay to have a midstream brought into their their chemical plant, let's just say. Um, that's a lot of money, you know, you're, you, yeah. you know, that's, we're, we could be talking millions of dollars and that's not going to be recouped, but if it makes their production better, 
if it can make the production in in ways safer and again they have ROIs of eight to ten years that might fall into a very very attractive place for them because they're looking at the next 50 or 75 years you know so a lot of these these thought processes in energy are very long term well that's that's really interesting how about the uh, the regulated utilities with the rate cases where they have to go for public rate cases is that sure. also uh, factored into there well that's a little bit different world yeah so when you look at an ldc uh rate cases i've been involved in many of them in the past and there are a lot of you're asking the public service commission public utility commission of that state to grant you to raise your prices because a lot of people don't realize that in ldcs and gas utilities people think so oh, hang on just again and ldc is a local distribution company sorry just yep. for the layman <laughs> company yeah uh, which is let's just say you know a people's gas consumers eversource atmos energy yeah. center point energy to name just a few um they don't make any money on the sale of gas they just make their money on the delivery of gas so a lot of people out in the industry will say oh wow natural gas is up to blank let's just say it's at five dollars the energy industry must love that because they're making more money it's a pass-through. They just make it on the delivery. So if gas is at five dollars in MCF and their pass the delivery is a dollar, let's keep it simple. So six dollars total for that MCF or decatherm. Actually, the energy industry wants the gas prices lower. I mean, like when I used to live in Minnesota, when the natural gas prices rise, I would keep the thermostat at 65, 64 <laughs> because you're paying more. Now, if it was $3 in MCF, I'd be like, oh, let's keep it up. So there's actually more throughput. You know, I'm, I'm as a consumer, instead of spending $6, I'm spending $3 so I can keep it hotter. But the energy company is making more money because they're, it's on every MCF pass-through. So rate cases are important. Um, I know a lot of money, too, in the rate cases go back to making the infrastructure safe, redoing it. You know, I, I mean, it's a pain for us when we drive down the street and half the streets dug up but knowing that one they're replacing it maybe and it's going to make us safer and a lot of times they'll do joint projects so while the streets dug up they're not just doing gas but they're doing electric uh fiber electric uh, fiber optic um, lots of fiber now yeah yeah, yeah. Yep. joint yeah, trench is a, you're, a talking, you're, you're talking about the utopia of everyone working uh, in coordination and in in, uh, in congress yeah <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it's a it's a great concept. I'd like to you know I, I'd love to see that that all the different utilities coordinate at one time, saying okay, we're going to do an integrated utility project of water sewer on uh, all the shallows. You know, everyone together, one so there's only one go through and one pass through for the uh, the street being dug up. It's one not day, always a reality. Yeah, one yeah. day, yeah, it's one not day. always a reality. But you know what? It's a great thing to to really uh, to to strive for, and yeah. and again, you know. Looking you know, looking back and looking at all the all the different things that have happened over the last fifteen years, the last twenty years in the industry, yep. I do see that we've gotten a lot safer by the awareness of the factor of uh, of safety. And safety, yep. you know, is for is really front uh, front you know it, it's really uh, foremost in the front and paramount. Or I'm I'm trying to recall the uh, trying first to recall the uh, first and foremost. Oh, there we go, front and paramount first and foremost. Yeah, front <laughs> first and foremost. <laughs> safety of the project safety of the employee 
And it, you know, unfortunately, I, I do have to say it's about every single, I, I believe almost every single safety rule has been written in blood, uh, unfortunately. And uh, right now, the, the, we're actually getting proactive and really making sure that, you know, that all these people working on our sites have the operator qualifications and really going forward. In terms of what you've done, Jim, in terms of the uh, energy world that, you know, do you see that this is really an expanding market of confidence in the people and then confidence and then it, it could also turn into confidence in the actual information? Do you and see the planning and the tools, yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I cannot tell you one entity, one organization that I'm I'm involved with in some fashion that safety is not paramount first and foremost, because it's safety for the people right now, as well as the safety of the people 30 years from now or 20 years from now that are living in that area over that pipeline or near that project or whatever it is. I have any every entity that I'm involved with. And when I go to all the gas association trade events and such, people are always the nice thing about those trade events is people do not they they, they leave their let's just say they, they share anything and everything about safety. And when you go to those trade events, there's committees and people from all different pipelines, all different utilities, all different local distribution companies get together and they share ideas and because they want the best for the industry and they want the best for the constituents and the best for the people that live uh, in, in the areas that they're doing work. So the sharing of best practices is absolutely um, continues each and every day. Uh, I'm, that's one of the reasons I'm so proud to be in the energy industry is because of that, that people, they, they put aside their company banner, so to speak, you know, and talk about safety and talk about best practices and how we can be better as an industry. That's what I love about our industry. And we see what's uh, did I what, what? Yeah, sorry. I was uh, so I was I was gonna kind of uh, piggyback off uh, what you two were saying and kind of say, what else can we do better? Because you know we're seeing this we're seeing this as well. There's damage prevention conventions and uh, there's so many measures that companies and to get to give everyone credit like this is a top priority for the industry, and yet we're still seeing uh, pipeline explosions. We're still seeing utility strikes and. Uh, what are you seeing in the oil and gas industry that are kind of, uh, let's say, key measures that we can take to, to prevent these stuff? Well, it, you know, it starts, and I hate to make this sound simple, but it starts with the individual and that individual feeling empowered that they have the ability to see something, say something. So that's right where the rubber hits the road it happened you know and, and it goes all the way through the chain from planning projects da, da, da. but somebody could have the best plan as we talked about but when somebody has boots on the ground out there and they see something they're like i don't see this on the plan this looks a little different to me you know am i going to go with the idea that it's probably okay because it's not on the plan so somebody knows about it or do they see something say something make a phone call I see a condition here that's not on the plan, doesn't look right. I'm not going to move forward until that's resolved. And that's a very hard thing to do because you might, you know, everybody has project deadlines, right? Everybody does. You need to get such and such done. You know, we need to get this podcast done by blank, blank time today. You know, we're under deadlines. But if something yeah. <laughs> were to happen 
that we need to say, hold on, time out. We need to pause for a second. We have to make sure. It has to go all the way up the chain where people applaud that person for taking the time to do something, to see Taking something, the initiative, yeah. Yeah. And it, even if, it, you know, and if we talk about 811, and I've been to, I, I can't tell you how many 811 events I've been to throughout my career, and they're wonderful because of the sharing of knowledge and the understanding of best practices and what people have seen underground. You know, one time I saw this, and people are like, really? Okay. And if that person can take that and learn from it, you know, and expand that knowledge, that's one thing in our industry. We have so much knowledge that people have in their heads, and we need to expand it and share it. So the sharing of knowledge, and I'll be honest with you, like at 4M, you know, where you folks can look at above and below with satellites and this and that and everything and possibly get that information into people's hands out in the field, that's better. I mean, that's, that's again, moving it along the way where, again, it's never 100%, but at least you have a highly increased confidence level that what you're doing is, you know, you feel good about it. So that's some of my thoughts about that. But 811... If somebody were to say, I'm not going to move forward because I'm going to call 811 again, have them come out again, just to make sure, because this looks a little bit different. I applaud that person. Take the time to do what's right. See something, say something. So I actually want to expand on that. Looking at 811, 811's function is absolutely amazing in the States where it's for excavation. But that's the whole point. It's for a safe and guided excavation only. It's not for the engineering. It's not for the pre-planning. And understanding that uh, that clear line between that, saying, okay, let's actually invest money into that investigation prior to, so that when we get to the one, it's just a verification. It's just a guiding factor of where not to dig so we can actually have it marked on the ground so that our, our excavators and our people can actually accommodate safely. But looking at that, it's that whole, under, that whole understanding of, I have to invest in my engineering. I have to invest in actually understanding what's there so I can plan and mitigate accordingly. What do you see in the industry, in the industry you've been in, in terms of the investment of in the engineering, for example, in feed, front-end engineering design of a pipeline? Have you seen that really integrated in, or has that just been another, uh, just another step on the process of let's do our land, let's do our, uh, let's do our right away? You know, is, is there a big focus on the underground, or is it um, more focused on the land acquisition and the optics? Uh, at least in my past, uh, we, we tried to do as much as we can. Now, again, this was, a, let's just say, a decade ago. And we've come a long way in a decade. A decade ago, we were using paper maps and paper yeah. charts and such like that. But a lot of things had been, you know, from the last 20 years on paper. And we also learned, though, too, that being penny wise can be pound short, meaning that if you're going forward and you don't understand that, again, back to my example, if you're not clear. Uh Oh, Oh, hang on, Jim, we just people on the ground. Jim, can you just repeat that? Jim, can you just repeat that for 10 seconds? We we lost 10 seconds. Yeah, we lost 10 seconds of you (laughs) from the penny wise pound short internet glitch. But being penny wise and pound short, we want to do as much as we can up front to understand what not only land acquisition and right of ways and all those, but what are some of the barriers that could be there that could, because if we're going down a path and we didn't understand as an industry that there's a pipeline going, you know, across it, that's a problem, folks. You know, that just doesn't get solved by itself. That could be, that could be 
that could be a three month or a four month delay in rerouting. Absolutely. This, you know? So Absolutely. Great planning is key to being not just safety, but also with, you know, your ROIs, you don't want to, nobody likes surprises, you know? And so absolutely, <laughs> you want to have as much information about anything up front. So I'm, I'm going to bring up another, I'm going to, sorry, I'm going to bring up another topic, which is really interesting, but way back when, when we had those nice paper plans, they were done with pride and they were really done well. Yeah. Uh, you know, there, there's some, there's some of them that were really, then you started having the, uh, uh, I, I call it the eighties and nineties of, uh, of let's get it done and let's just let's just put it down and it, it, let's put it there and we'll figure it out later. Then all of a sudden, the late '90s, early 2000s, and the, especially in the you know, the 2010 era, you had digitization. Let's get it digital. Let's make sure it looks good. And I, I call that the uh, you know the social media effect, where it looks really good what we're looking at, but how accurate is it? You know, oh, you know, it it, it looks absolutely you know, this digital visualization this digital presentation looks amazing you know and I'll, i i bet i can actually i can now i can now base my engineering based upon this visualization you know and here i'll have three feet clearance here i'll have two feet clearance and i'll do my bore path based upon that and then you get out to reality and it's nowhere near what it's supposed to be but it looked great digitally but it, you know it, it's just a matter of now taking that information and building confidence on the digital median so what do you say about the digital process and the digital visualization and the digital revolution which we've gone through? How do we make that? How do we make it actually more reliable and not just visually, not just visually, a uh, not visually uh, appetizing, but also right workable? through and through workable, work uh, workable. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Easy no, I, 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 I'm along the same. I mean, we we've become leaps and bounds from where we've been and we we know that well i guess one thing it's just like with the uh, psms pipeline safety management systems there's never an end to it it's always a journey you're always improving and always making processes safer and better and such like that and i think your example is just that we've come leaps and bounds in the last 20 years in those realms but are we there yet? I, I should say we're never going to be there because we can always get better. Uh, augmented reality, virtual reality, you know, those type of things where, you know, you know, we've seen some of this technology where people can be on a backhoe and look through goggles and see lines in the ground that, yeah. you know, are, are augmented reality. That's wild. That's great. Now, is that the end of it? No, it's going to even get better. You know, I, I don't know what that's going to look like, but those are the things that are exciting that our technology is being incorporated into our processes and to make our processes better all the way. Um, and it, it just takes, you know, organizations embracing the new technologies. Like, you know, again, 30 years ago, paper maps were the greatest. And, and the person that had those paper maps and he or she when they did it all, they knew exactly where it was. Well, guess what? That person probably is now retired and right down the road here in West Palm Beach and they're retired. And now somebody's looking at that map and they're saying, well, he or she, what did they mean by that? Well, I'm not really sure, but it's probably not important. That's where we want to make sure that we carry on the knowledge sets. And when we do capture electronically or technically and in those formats, you know, the more information we have, the better it is for continuing that education of that as continuing the learning of it being better that's uh that's uh, it's it's a lofty goal but you know always constantly thriving to get to to get to our goals and really uh 
do better. And that, that's one thing which I always look at. How can I do better tomorrow? You know, yep. what steps have I taken to actually get to that point where we are doing better? Now, you mentioned before asset management. Are you also building OQs for asset management? Or are you a... building a Q? Oh. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Or are you building a sets of QA for asset management? Yeah. So asset management, uh, it's not an OQ. OQ is specific to people. Officer qualification, yeah. Like that. But we realize, though, in the industry that assets are just as important. Not, not, let me take that back. Humans are the most important, but assets are, uh, let's just say, a close second to it. And to make sure that those assets are in good working order. When we when we talk about this, I'll think about this. It's easy if an operator has three employees, okay, and they have one fusion machine, and that's all they do, and they do it themselves. <clears throat> that's easy. Now you think about a, a, an operator that has 8,000 technicians, and they use 800 contractors. It, it's just like managing OQs. It was easy with the three people. You know, I, I can manage their OQs. Now you have... 8,000 employees inside your organization and 800 contract firms that could have between five and 500 people in, unto themselves, it's hard to manage all that. And we take the same aspect with assets, the importance of them, because more and more regulators, you know, when there's an audit, gosh, for hopefully it's just a regular audit just to double check things, but if there should be an issue in the industry and there's an audit because of an issue, the, the regulators are going to want to know exactly who was on site, you know, what, what their OQs were at the time, what equipment was used, where is that equipment now at the time of the project, what was the state of the equipment, was it calibrated, was it inspected, was it all maintained? And, you know, things are easy when you have one piece of equipment and you have a file folder and you, you just put it in the folder and you, you put it in the file box. When you start having thousands and thousands and you need to have it manageable, that's the key. And we want people to go out to a site and be able to use their phone and scan our, you know, scan their equipment and get a green check saying, to the best of their knowledge, that piece of equipment is up to speed. Uh, according to all the criteria that's put in, the technician knows that a green check mark means it's inspected, calibrated, to the best of the abilities. They still have to do their due diligence every day but they, they at least have the confidence to know that at least the shift beforehand, everything worked good. If all of a sudden this shift, a uh, hydraulic hose starts to look like it's cracking, make a note in the system right then saying, hey, there's a problem with this hose. So when the next crew comes on, they can say, oh, wow, there's a red check mark. Oh, we have to get this. There's a, we can't use this because we need to get a hydraulic hose fixed or whatever the case may be. So we're, we're taking the assets up to a place where, again, we're, our goal is to make the world a safer place to work, safer place to be, safer place to live. And uh, assets are key to that. So uh, it's kind of the same, along the same lines as OQ for people. Think about the same type of uh, data tracking, data management for, and, and as well as reactive as proactive for assets. You know what, by saying, sorry, David, I'm just, uh, my train of thought here is really, really, you know, we, we talk about all this. Where do we actually tie this into the utilities in the ground? It's the same concept. It's the exact same thing. You know, we want the best information. We want the, we want to make sure that everything we've done is to, is to get that green check. You know, why are we not looking 
at everything, all the utility information from the past to, to bring forward to the future. And, you know, going out and doing, uh, you know, doing our 811 and really let's see something, say something as you stated, but really understanding that, you know, do I have all the different pieces of information, you know, has the chain of custody of the utility information right through the years been preserved or have things gotten lost and missing? You know, do you, well, I, do you, I think two points. So preserved is, is great. And maybe, maybe it's documented, it's put in there, but usable. It's just like anything, you know, like anything in the world, all the information could be documented. All the information about my pickup truck, my Dodge Ram is documented, but if people can't see it or use it, it's pretty worthless. Right. I, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. you know, and that's the key. Yeah. I mean, I feel good because I know it's documented. Um, but let's just say, you know, whatever, it, maybe somebody else doesn't know where, that it's documented or where to find that information or how to use it. You know, know when the tires were changed last, know when the oil change was last, you know, especially if I don't do it all through, if I do it through different entities. And that's what we're doing, you know, with this, mm -hmm. making it, you know, reduce silos. So we're bringing it together and, you know, with 4M and what you folks are doing, when you try to it doesn't happen overnight, but bringing all the information together and reducing those silos so people can see a better picture and a more clearer picture. Interesting. Okay, David, Jim, sorry about uh, that. Yeah, we're, we're used to this type of conversation. I guess it's uh, our Israeli culture. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, uh, Jim, I, was, I, I wanted to ask, uh, how receptive are you seeing, uh, are you feeling that the industry is to new technologies? Because... Uh, well, obviously, obviously, there's there's some who are very receptive and some who will give you some pushback. But I think one feedback that we've seen, and I think we had this on the podcast with uh, Hugh Seaton, who said that today project managers they want to work with technologies that give them value tomorrow morning, like they want to take stuff to the site and work with them tomorrow morning. Um, so, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, instant or away. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Hold on. I'll, I'll, I'll self-deprecate myself on this one. Okay. At my age, when I said that a year and a half ago, I started to learn how to do Zoom calls and video calls and such like that. I, I am. I I may be a a good example of the industry. Let's just take the energy industry. That you know, I've been doing things for twenty years, and that's worked well for me. The issue is that's my bubble and it works well for me. And then God willing in 10 years when I get to retire, how do I pass that on to the next generation? You know, and that gets back to what your point was. I think the generation, my daughter, my youngest daughter is just now entering the energy industry and she's, you know, at her age, just out of college, she sees the world. I mean, she, she gets on things like this and iPads and notes and this and that and the other thing. And she wants and expects to be using that in her world. Now, when we take a look at, you know, people that engineers that in my age group maybe do it a certain way, engineers coming right out of school see it a different way. So I think it's right now, it's an interesting time of blending of the, of the, the mindsets, the different generations. And yeah. uh, it's exciting because honestly, I am learning every day from the generation that's just entering the energy industry now. I really do. And I, and I want to because I realize that my way of doing things on paper pads, okay, and notes and the things that I've done for 20-some years can be better because it can be shared and all these other things. So 
as much as the generation entering can learn from people like me, what has worked well, what, what didn't work. And since it didn't work, what did we learn from it? That's the most important thing. If something doesn't work yeah. well and there's a problem, not just fix it, but what do we learn from it and how can we be better next time? That's the key to it. And, you know, teaching those folks, the next generation, as well as the next gener that generation, teaching us how great some of this technology is. And, um, and when they expected it, it kind of makes us all look at things a little bit differently. And change is hard. Some people embrace change right away and others are like, oh, if it's not broke, don't fix it. But I really think it takes us and I, and I keep going back to our state and regional and national gas associations. When you get these folks together and you get them on committees and people start to hear these things and the ideas and the best practices and the goodness that comes out of it, then it starts to take off. And does it happen overnight? No, it doesn't. But it's happening. And I see it each and every day that we're, we're getting better as an industry. Jim, speaking of the the younger generation, um, in a sentence or two sentences, uh, what is your best advice for them entering the energy, oil, and gas industry? Oh, well, uh, best advice. Where do you start? <laughs> I, yeah, where do I start? The biggest thing is uh, make, and don't take, I'm not being facetious, make friends. And not just in your department, in your company, but make friends in the industry. This industry is built on relationships and people work together for the betterment of them, of, of the industry and the sharing of yeah. ideas. So make relationships, um, know that you're not going to change the world overnight, but always be that, that eye for how can we make it better? How can we make it more productive? And at the, at the keystone of everything, the cornerstone, how can we make it safer? You know, safety is first and foremost, number one. Um, and the second is, you know, to have fun. We need to have fun each and every day. We have to be happy each and every day. We're Absolutely. We're having fun. We and approve this message. Yeah. yeah, I'm not saying being frivolous, but, you know, right now I'm having fun with you guys. We're on here, we're chatting. Likewise. And it's, it's, it's a good time. And people have to have fun every day because if they're the right person in the right seat, they're having fun every day. And when they're fun, they're thinking, they're being productive, they're trying to be proactive, they're looking at the future. Oh, and again, don't be afraid. Next, next generation, do not be afraid to come up to somebody like to me to say, "I think I have a better way of doing it." You know, don't be afraid to say that. I might say, "Oh no, I've been doing it that way for twenty years." You, you don't know. You know, keep after somebody like me and say, "You know, if you just, you know, get rid of your Motorola flip phone and go to an iPhone, you might be able to." <laughs> maybe, um, maybe. I, I still yeah. remember my StarTech. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I still and or my little my Nokia, my little Nokia, <laughs> yeah, with with oh, yeah. that specific ringtone, yeah, it's a, or the the Ericsson. Wow. <laughs> yeah, they were all military grade. Yeah. There used to be a bag back in yeah. the day that had a phone, and you put it over your shoulder. The brick, the brick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jim, uh, one one last question. One last question, and I hope uh, we don't take you by surprise. Who do you think uh, should be our next guest on the podcast? Who do we have to have? Oh, Talk wow. about the oil and gas industry. Wow. I mean, there's so many people. Who do you want? Do you want an operator? Do you want a uh, contractor? Do you want a state uh, uh, a gas association? What do you? Oh, there we you? go. Uh, 
mean, whatever you feel. Fair to choose, yeah. or fair. It's up to you to choose. Yeah, you know, for me, I I, I want to see a, a gas association. I want to see what their opinion is about that underground realm. I want to see what they're thinking, and how they think things can get better. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah. uh, David Tatman from the Louisiana Gas Association is a there good go. one. Uh, Daryl, we're going to hold you accountable for that, Jim. Yeah. What's that? <laughs> if, we're going to hold you, you accountable for the introductions. Yeah. <laughs> if you can give us a personal introduction, we'd appreciate it. <laughs> that's uh, that's yeah. what I do in the well. Again, I don't know hardly uh, everything, but I know people and I connect the dots. Is what I do. Uh, yeah. Like you said, it's all about relationships. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Association, APGA, uh, Aaron Carilla, Stuart Salters over there. Stuart's wonderful on podcasts. Uh, there we go. <laughs> keep going on and on. Yeah. So, w- one last question for you How has your golf game suffered in the last two years of being uh, in the in the podcast world and not on the uh, on the back nine, uh, you know, doing these things and talking to people. Okay, (laughs) I live in Florida. Okay, West Palm Beach area, and I don't golf. I golf really. Yep. (laughs) Now, so my golf shocked faces you for those of you listening. (laughs) No, I I love to get out and golf with customers and industry people just for fellowship. But I'm not a. uh, I I find that after. Honestly, after about 12 holes, um, I need to move on to something else. My ADHD, <laughs> or whatever you want to call it, is yeah. it's too much. Time the energy, the energy. Yeah. yeah. So I, I have a really funny story about this. I think it was uh, in 19, what was it? It was, no, it was 1999. I went golfing with a friend of mine from CWNG, and that was Canadian Western Natural Gas. And he told me, if you're ever going to succeed in life, Make sure that you know how to golf and make sure you know how to carry a conversation on the golf course. You may not be good at it, but make sure you know how to carry on that conversation and enjoy it. And yeah. it's a yeah. it's a life lesson, and I, 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 I've taken it to heart, and I've really enjoyed it. You know, I, I, I'm horrible at golf, but I, I enjoy golf. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it gets back to the relationships. And when yeah. you get people out of the office, whether that's a trade event or a golf no, course. Oh, amazing or things or happen. Yeah. Amazing. Just break bread and, yeah. and spending time yeah. getting to know that person. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, perfect. Well, Jim, uh, wow, it's been, uh, first of all, it's been an honor. Uh, you know, we've, li- we've, we've been listening to the, to the episodes and uh, to kind of now have a conversation with you is uh, really, really cool for us. Uh, we've had a great, great time. And uh, we thank you for, uh, for being here and uh, spending time with us. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. It's my honor to be on with you folks. It's great. Absolutely great.